Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 832 of the Juice Box Podcast. Emily is an adult living with type 1 diabetes, and she has had more than her fair share of problems. But she hasn't let them stop her from striving for more. Today, while you're listening to Emily's story, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you have type 1 diabetes or are the caregiver of someone with type 1, please take a few minutes to fill out and complete the survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Completing this survey helps move type 1 diabetes research forward, and you can do it right from your home. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Just to let you know, we're going to be speaking about a number of things in this episode, drug use, suicide attempts, depression, anxiety, and things of that nature. Just want you to be aware. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored today by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. That's right, Dexcom makes the G6 and the G7 is coming very soon. So head over now and find out more. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Get the CGM that my daughter uses. Get a Dexcom. Links to Gvoke Hypopen, Dexcom, and all the sponsors are in the show notes of the audio player you're listening in right now, and they're also at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on my links, you're supporting the show. So I thank you very much. Hi, my name is Emily. I live in New York, and um, I've been type 1 diabetic for coming up on 30 years uh, since I was three years old. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a pretty long time. Um, does, yeah. it, does, it, does it feel like a long time? Yeah, it does feel like a long time. How so? I just, um, I can't remember a life without it. And it, it almost seems like it's been different chapters of diabetes a little. Okay. Well, so two ideas there. We'll pick it apart a little bit. Does it bother you that you don't remember life without diabetes or is it comforting? Or would you not know? I don't know. It, it. I think. I think not. I mean, I think both situations are difficult in their their own way. Um, but at least for me personally, I think it's difficult. Yeah. I always wonder, like, you know, what it would be, what it would be like, and. Um, is it sort of like a sense of like loss? Like, you know, you lost something, but you don't know what it is. Right. Cause you have no, yeah. con- you have no context for not having diabetes. I mean, unless you remember being two years old. No, I don't, I don't remember. Right. Um, I see pictures 
but I don't actually remember anything. Um, so do you, but, th- do you think that you, there's something to miss or do you think you're imagining something? I don't know if that's different. I think there's something to miss. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how it's affected my life. It's definitely impacted my life quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just always something that's been there and it's, it always will be there. So. Right. Well, let's figure out um, a little bit about it. So have your um, your family ever share with you how they figured out you had type one? Yeah, it, it's actually pretty strange. I well, I think um, my father uh, actually was type one diabetic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, um, so I was three years old. He had type one diabetes, um, and I was told that his uncle, who was very influential in his own diabetes management um had just passed away and my father had some underlying mental health issues and he started having hallucinations after that happened that I was um type 1 diabetic and he became very obsessive and started testing my urine constantly and he brought me to doctors saying you know you need to test her and they'd all say, you know, you're crazy. Like she doesn't have type one. She's not diabetic. She's not so showing any symptoms. Um, and finally he wound up bringing me to the Jocelyn in, um, the Jocelyn center in Boston, um, in March. Uh, and my mother was actually giving birth to my, my brother at this point. So my father was not with her when my brother was born. He he took me to Jocelyn and they ran a glucose tolerance test on me. And it turned out that I was type one diabetic. Wow. So he was right. <laughs> Even though it was kind of crazy. Um, but I wasn't showing any symptoms at the time. He just, so do you think he was seeing things that he recognized or do you think he was actually in the midst of a, of some sort of a break? I think it was more a mental health thing. And I think he was just like, he was always a very anxious um, person. Um, And I think he knew there was always a chance. He just happened to be right this time when he, when he dove. Yeah. And I think some, some things happened that really kind of like broke him a little bit. And, um, being that he had underlying mental health issues, it, you know, just manifested itself in that way. What were his struggles? Um, over the years, he was diagnosed as bipolar. Um, he was also he also had major addiction problems for um, most of my life. Um, I think they started to happen actually more. Uh, after I was diagnosed with type one, um, which I don't know if that is related. Um, I think it really broke him when I was diagnosed. Anyone else in your family have type one? No, just, just my father had type one. Um, my brother gets tested 
every once in a while. Um, I have a younger brother mm-hmm. and, um, but he's never showed any signs. Anyone else have any kind of mental health issues that you're comfortable talking about? Um, I'm just, I'm just trying. <laughs> you're going through a list in your think. head. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't have, I, I don't have like a ton of family members and I also don't know all of their mental health okay. statuses, yeah. but in terms of immediate family, it's just, me and my father. Okay. And and what what's going on with you? I also have bipolar. How? And ex- and extreme anxiety. Okay. So significant anxiety, bipolar. How old were you when they diagnosed the bipolar? Um the bipolar was just recently. It was uh, I think last year. I had always been diagnosed with um depression and anxiety. And, um, but the medications never worked for me. So I wound up just going off and going just completely cold Turkey. And I was not doing extremely well. So I decided to go back and see someone. Um, and they diagnosed me as bipolar. They also diagnosed me with ADHD. I don't know. I'm not quite sure about that, but <laughs> well, um, I don't think you have time to worry about ADHD. <laughs> You have a lot going on. Um, can you uh, can you talk about what it what what? Hmm, oh no, it's my question. What was going on in your life that got you to a depression and anxiety diagnosis first? Like how how did it impact you day to day? Um. Well, I think it really started happening in high school that's also when I first started therapy and I think started on some medication um my parents relationship was really like uh really dysfunctional um so I was having a lot of issues there um I think the diabetes maybe played into it a little um I also uh I I developed an eating disorder at a a fairly young age, but it, it morphed into other things over the years. And eventually um, it did affect the diabetes, but not, not for a very long time. So you in high school started feeling depressed, the anxiety ramped up. Yeah. I was just always nervous, always very, um, just high strung and um but but also yeah very like sad and just not able I had quite a few friends but I just kind of I never really felt like I fit in Mm -hmm. between my family life and being diabetic and um yeah is this something that the people around you would have noticed at the time, or do you think it was fairly contained within you? I think, no, I think people probably noticed. Okay. So kind of sadness, the, I mean, does it come across as like just head down, not involved or it comes, <laughs> I get very emotional. Okay. Um, yeah, it would get very emotional. And that could swing in like 
happy, sad, angry, anywhere in between. Yeah. yeah. And I think it became even more prevalent as I got older, which is why um, I was probably diagnosed as bipolar and also having that history in my in my family with my father. Yeah. And I think my father and I are very similar in some ways. Did did your father's was your father ever diagnosed with bipolar? Yeah, yeah, he was he was seeing um, mental health professionals on and off for years. I was just I was kind of trying to figure out why it took them, which seems like about fifteen years for you to get from these initial concerns to a bipolar consideration, like. Were they never looking at your dad's history as, you know what I mean? They always, they were looking at my father's history because I would always tell them that, you know, he was bipolar. Um, I think that the, the manic aspect of bipolar wasn't really focused on with me because I was so depressed that I would always, I would pretty much just show signs of depression. And, um, I never, you didn't get the fun part of bipolar. I didn't get the like ups in terms of like, yeah, like crazy, you know, crazy highs and feeling great. I got them in terms of like, um, this frantic type of energy, um, where, I kind of like, I couldn't relax and, um, very poor sleep, just, uh, just acting kind of crazy. But, um, did did you ever try alcohol and drugs to help you? Yeah. You did. Yeah. To, yeah. To a certain extent, not, not to my father's extent and, Maybe I shouldn't compare them, but um, but I do struggle with my own addictions, whether it's in the past. Mm-hmm. Do they help or do they like are you are you self-medicating in a way that it's actually valuable or is it just making things worse or making things different? Uh, well, it, it depends on what it is. I <laughs> um but no, I, I don't think self-medicating really works in the long run. Gotcha. Um, but I also don't, you know, I am on medication for certain mental health issues and um, they do help. Um, they do help quite a bit. Excellent. But, um, you know, I, I just, I wonder the, about the effects of those as well in the long run too. You know, I don't mm. know if you should be on anything like, long term well you, you know what the what i've always heard is the biggest concern with um drugs that help with mental health issues is that you're having a problem and then you're not thinking very clearly and you're suffering and then you get on the medication and it alleviates those problems and now you're thinking more clearly you're not struggling as much and you have the propensity to think, oh, okay, I'm better now. I don't need the drugs anymore. And of course, the drugs are the only reason you feel that way to begin with. And then you go off of them. Apparently, that's a pretty common issue um, for people in your situation. You, you start feeling clear and you're like, oh, I'm better now. It's like, because you think of it as almost like a cut healing. 
and then you want to take the Band-Aid off. Um, yeah. Yeah. Has that happened I to you so far, time. or are you have you been pretty consistent with it? No, I've been on, on and off um, medications, uh, various medications for a long time. Gotcha. And some of them I didn't go off the right way. So and that's <laughs> it's just like, I don't want to take this anymore, so I'm not taking it. And then there's an impact from that by not titrating away from it. Is that right? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. It depends on the drug, but yeah. Are you um, in a relationship, married, or do you have your own? Kids? I'm in a long-term relationship. I think technically, technically, we've been engaged for like five years, maybe. I don't know. Um, but we own a house, and uh, you know, it's just not <laughs> on my like. It's not one of my top things to do right now. Being married is not. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're we know what we are and you know it yeah. doesn't mean anything to me and you know it would be nice at some point we probably will but um yeah did you get not. a ring at least i did well, yeah fine everything's fine and it, it was a very very nice ring that um was actually his his mother's engagement ring so it was very oh, meaningful that's lovely okay so you're um my, I, the reason I asked was because I'm wondering how much a partner has to do with care. I mean, is this something that you sort of take care of by yourself and you don't look for outside help or are you, are you in it together more? Is he, is he involved? For the diabetes or no, the mental health? I'm still, both? I'm still going with the mental health, but I was going to translate into the diabetes in a minute. Okay. Um, for mental health, um, yeah, he's he's definitely involved in in my health. Um, he because he cares about me and um, he cares about the diabetes and the mental health. And um, he's also had his uh, his own experience with mental health and mental health professionals. And you know, he views it in a certain way. So sometimes he'll just check in with me or. Um, ask about the medication and look into that if there's any, you know, weird side effects or anything. So yeah, it's definitely involved. Gotcha. Um, okay. So how did all of this, uh, now I'm trying to imagine all of this commingled with having diabetes in high school and as a young adult, did you go to college as well? Yeah. Okay. So high school into college, you're having you know, depression, the anxiety seems pretty extreme. So um, how do you, I don't understand how you can make it through a day of worrying about your insulin. Um, what was that like? And, you know, were there moments where you faltered? I honestly, like, almost don't even remember the diabetes at that time. I just like, I just remember it. I carried around pens and I gave myself insulin when I needed it. Um, but I, I was never as concerned about it as I am now. Um, yeah, I just don't even think it was like a concern of mine at the time, especially because, um, I didn't really care and I was diagnosed so young and they told me like, you're going to have complications in 20 years. And I was like, well, that makes me 23. So like, 
I mean, yeah, I'll be young. Like who, who cares what I do now? I might as well have fun. Cause it felt like you were, were they telling you you were going to have significant health issues in your twenties? Yeah. They were like 20 years. You'll have complications. Did you end up having those complications? No, I actually don't have any complications, but I did have, well, not long-term um, complications, but uh, because of uh, my eating disorder in the past and that led into uh, diabulimia and I got very, very sick and I went into kidney failure. And so, so I did have some health issues because of the diabetes, but, um, but not long-term yet. So I'm grateful for that yeah. surprise kind of really well, surprised. Well, I mean, somebody told <laughs> us for sure it was going to happen and now it didn't happen. And, and like you're saying, you weren't probably really on top of things to begin with. What was your management like in the beginning? I mean, 30 years ago is definitely like regular and MPH, right? When did you switch over to a faster acting insulin? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I, I have no know. idea. I remember using the syringes at first and then I don't know when I transferred over to pens um, and I didn't get a pump for a, a really long time. And then I went off of it and on it. And um, then eventually started listening to your podcast and heard about Omnipod. And I was like, I want to try that. Um, and it's been great ever since. And cool. same with Dexcom. Cool. Very cool. Um, well, see, you made me happy. I didn't realize that you listened to the <laughs> podcast. Now, now I'm all excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, wow. It feels like a, like, does it feel like a lot to you when you're recanting it or does it just feel like your life? Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is a premixed auto injector of glucagon for treatment of very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages two and above. Find out more. Go to givoglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givoglucagon.com slash risk. How would you like to know what your blood sugar is? without poking a hole in your finger. You can with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitoring System, which is available at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Not only does Dexcom offer zero finger sticks, but you can get your glucose readings right on your smart device. That's your iPhone or your Android. Don't have a phone? That's okay. You can use Dexcom's receiver. On any of these devices, you're able to set up customizable alerts and alarms setting your optimal range so that you'll get notified when your glucose levels go too high or too low. And you can share this data with up to 10 followers. Imagine what that could look like. Your child could be at school and their data could be available to you, your spouse, their aunt, the school nurse, anyone who you choose. My daughter's been wearing a Dexcom forever and it helps us in multiple ways. Around meals, we're able to see if our boluses are well-timed and well-measured. If they aren't, we can tell by how her blood sugar reacts and then go back the next time and make an adjustment. Without the Dexcom CGM, we're sort of flying blind, but not just at meals, also during activity and sleep. 
The Dexcom offers us an unprecedented level of comfort and security. Being able to see my daughter's blood sugars in real time, and not just the number, but the speed and direction, is an absolute game changer if you're using insulin. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Head over there today to see if you're eligible for a free 10-day trial of the Dexcom G6. The Dexcom is at the center of how we've been able to keep our daughter's A1C between 5'2 and 6'2 for over seven years. We've been able to minimize variability and keep her blood sugars in a stable range because of the information that we can see with the Dexcom. These are our results and yours may vary, but using Dexcom's feedback has helped my daughter, without any food restrictions, live a more normal and healthy life. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Um, it feels like a lot. It it does feel like a lot, but I don't remember certain parts of it. Okay. As well. At what point does the eating disorder come in? Do you recall? Um, it started probably around like early middle school. I would say I started having some, um, disordered eating behaviors and then it went into it it uh developed into more dangerous behaviors uh later on in my my 20s does it start with um are you is it a consideration around weight or is it a consideration around insulin it's a consideration about um my body especially at that time and um and food, because that was focused a, a lot on, again, well, because of the diabetes, but that became more of like a, a focus of mine. So were you eating without using insulin or were you? No, no, not at the time. I was just restricting my food intake and exercising more. Okay. Restricting it about your body, not about not having to use the insulin. Right. Okay. At, at the time, I didn't know about that i wasn't aware ah and then you became more aware in college type years um i don't know when i became aware of it but i know that i started messing around with my insulin um more in my mid-20s and then it became pretty severe where i was just not really taking anything and not that I wasn't taking anything, but I would just run my, my background insulin and I pretty much went bolus for anything. For anything. Um, did that impact your, your body the way you like, were there, I'm trying to find the right way to say this. So I don't sound like I'm, you know what I mean? So I don't sound like, Hey, this is a great idea, but did you, did you, cause it's not, but did you see, the effect, like, was there cause and effect? Like, you stopped taking your insulin, and the thing you hoped would happen initially happened before you got into a situation that was more dangerous. 
like I'm trying to figure out if your feedback loop was positive around it or if it's if it happens for another reason. I'm not quite sure I understand. Yeah, I'm sorry. I need to be your more question. clear. Yeah. So you stop taking mealtime insulin and mm-hmm. then what happens after that physically? Um I started to feel very sick. My blood sugars were constantly high. I wouldn't I barely checked my blood sugar because I was like, well, I mean, it's just going to tell me I'm high. Um, yeah. And it just, it became a really severe health issue. I was constantly running to the bathroom. Um, that actually became an enormous issue. The, the constant urination and the excessive drinking. And I just always felt sick and, Um, there were times where I had to leave work early. I was taking a lot of medical leave. Um, I was throwing up. I had to go to the hospital a few times. So yeah, it just became, it became really bad and no one really knew about it. And while that's happening, it doesn't, does it occur to you? I should just start taking my insulin again, or what's the thing that keeps you in that space? Well, I should have said this before, but I, I became very suicidal at one point. Um, and so the fact that I already had an eating disorder, and then I knew about the diabulimia and I didn't want to take care of my diabetes anyway, it just, it was kind of like the perfect storm where it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I don't care. I might as well have this eating disorder and do whatever I want and just die. Cause I don't care. Suicidal. But it became a very painful way to live. Yeah. I can't imagine actually. Um, suicidal, like in the, in the, in the sense that you just don't care what's happening to you as it's happening or, or suicidal in the, in the sense that you had a plan and you were trying to enact it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, no, I was, I was actively trying to kill myself. I didn't want to, it was passive. Like I didn't want to have to necessarily do anything. Um, you just wanted it to happen. Yeah. So not taking care of the diabetes, it was like, well, eventually I'll die. So I'll just, I'll just do that. And and what's the end of that sentence? Eventually I'll die and this will all be over or eventually I'll like, what comes after that in your thought? Like, what is the goal of, it sounds crazy, but what is the goal of dying? What are you trying to accomplish? I was just extremely depressed and gotcha. um, also my mother had just passed away. I see. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, well, I mean, Okay, so we're halfway through, and we (laughs) should probably all just wave air on our face for a second and take a deep breath and start over again, because you're not in that situation now. Is that correct? In terms of not taking my insulin, no. I'm very good about taking my insulin and uh, watching my Dexcom. I'm, you know, much better A1Cs. Um, Sometimes the endo tells me that I'm just... I'm, you know, micromanaging and just don't be so concerned about it. (laughs) I think your endo should shut up, but I I think, (laughs) I think you're doing good. So, um, 
Does does the endo know all this about you, or do they just know you from the diabetes piece? Um, I let my doctors know my history, but they I was not with this doctor when when that was happening. I see. Yeah, because I don't think it's a good idea to dissuade you from doing a good job for yourself. That seems uh, that seems like a bad idea. Um, and your mental health stuff is is currently being managed with medications. Like, how would you classify your anxiety, depression, um, at the moment? Like, how am I doing with that? Yeah, yeah. How's it going? Um. I think it's a lot better. Um, I still think it's, uh, um, I don't know. I just never had the greatest mental health. I think the anxiety is the biggest issue. I have really bad anxiety. Um, but I don't, I don't think anxiety can really be managed medication very well, unless you're on anti-anxiety medications constantly, which I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to be feeling like tired and zoned out all the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, it's just kind of learning to deal with it. I've been trying to do, um, more exercises for, you know, breathing, meditation, um, stuff like that. I do have a PRN if I need it, but, um, uh, I I think I'm going to talk to my um, psychiatrist actually about switching me to something else because I don't think it's a it's a good medication for me. Gotcha. Have you tried that um uh, that rapid eye movement treatment? What is it? EMDR? Maybe. Frank? I've heard of it. No, oh. I, I haven't tried it. A lot of people who discuss things like you're discussing today bring it up to me when it comes up on the podcast. So I don't know if that's something worth talking to your psychiatrist about or not um yeah definitely so explain anxiety to me for a minute so you open your eyes in the morning and are you like completely consumed with things that you're concerned about immediately um i'm gonna be late i hope the shower's not full like is it down to the minute stuff or does it always just you know what i mean like when does it start and and what things I guess rev it up. Is it anything? Yeah, it's uh, it starts immediately from when I wake up. Although, again, um, I am trying to implement some things where um, that are good in dealing with the anxiety. I try not to like bounce out of bed immediately. Uh, try to take my time and take a breath and. Um, kind of wake up more slowly and really be like present when I'm, you know, brushing my teeth and washing my face and getting ready for the day, Um, kind of get myself up. You know, I have like some rituals in the morning that I'm, you know, used to doing and those are kind of comforting. Um, But pretty much it starts the, the second I wake up, I'm constantly like, rapid heartbeat, like frenzy, kind of static feeling in my chest, um, checking off what I have to do today. Am I going to be late? Like, yeah, it's, and it's stupid things. It's not like, I, I mean, some things are big things, but, right. um, but 
but it, yeah, I also get tied up in the little things. I know some anxious people and the closest I've come to ever being able to explain it from my perspective is that when I'm in the room with them, they feel like they're vibrating. Yeah. And I don't, and know. I can't sit still and, um, it's almost yeah, a look just, on their face. Calm. Like, like I feel like they're, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I feel like every cell in them is moving in one direction, then another direction and thinking about 63 things at the same time. Um, and they can't, they can never be where they are. If that makes sense. They can never sort of stop and, and, and just stop. Um, and those people that I know that are like that, they seem to drink their way out of it. If, if I'm being mm. honest, that seems to be, not that I'm saying that's what to do um, because it obviously comes with its own set of new problems. Uh, but yeah, I can't imagine. So you have, so the anxiety exists all the time. Is any of the medication impacting depression? Do you feel depressed or has it been lightened or alleviated? Um, I wanted to say something about the anxiety. Oh, I just wanted to say that your description was pretty spot on in terms of how it feels. Okay. Um, but in terms of the depression, I think the swings, um, the mood swings are definitely more controlled now that I'm on the medication. Um, I think I had a bout of depression, but I think it was caused by a medication I was taking actually. So I, I stopped that. Um, and I'm going to talk to my, my doctor about that. And, and how does the, um, now that you have a bipolar, um, Oh my God, the simplest word just fell right out of my head. <laughs> Hold on a second. Give me a second. Emily. Uh, diagnosis. There's the word I'm looking for. Now that you have, a, wow, can you imagine? I couldn't think of diagnosis. Now that you have a bipolar diagnosis, and I imagine that's being medicated. Um, is it is it consistency through the month, or are there still ebbs and flows? Like, could could you and I have randomly set this up on a different day, and I'd be talking to a completely different Emily, or is like how does that all work? Um. There's ebbs and flows, I feel like, but I feel like they're not as high and low as, I see. as they used to be. So taking the spikes out, taking the drops out, bringing you closer mm -hmm. to the middle. It's, it's, it's a lot like diabetes. You're lessening, yeah, you're I was lessening your say, variabilities, yes, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, but it, without the medication, could you, like, what would be happening? Would you just would you be ranting if you were manic? Would you be, if I try, um, you know what I mean? How does it present? And do you even know what's happening? Sometimes I don't. Sometimes my, my partner actually will bring it up. And he's like, I think you're, I think you're mad right now. Or, you know, you're, you're just depressed right now or something like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he notices before I do. Um, but, I'm sorry, what was the question? How do, how do I feel when? Well, I, I'm interested in like how it would present to me on the outside and if you even know what's happening. Like I, I'm trying to, like Emily, I think most people don't understand this. They don't have perspective on it. And I would guess that in their mind's eye, 
there you'd be ranting or raving or overly, you know, enthusiastic and shot out of a cannon and then suddenly depressed and quiet. Like, is that how it goes or like, what's the real life impact of it? Not just what we kind of, that's kind of how it is. Like, I'm really like, um, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm probably doing too many things. I'm pushing myself too hard. Um, uh, I can't sit still. I'm not sleeping. Um, just really wired. Um, and then in terms, and then I just kind of crash because it all becomes too much. And then, um, it's almost like a burnout and I just get really down. And then I don't feel like I can pull myself to do anything. And then I get upset at myself for not being able to do anything. Um, because I, I mean, I don't like the anxiety, but I, I prefer mania to depression. At least I get things done and I'm a very type A person. So, um, you know, I'm always afraid I'm not being productive enough. I see. Does the anxiety feel different when you're depressed than when you're manic? Probably a little. I think it's more energizing when I'm, when I'm up and when I'm down, it's just, um, it's just kind of there. Although maybe, maybe it's not, I think the anxiety is there, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, um, very apathetic about things when I'm depressed. Okay. I just don't really, I start to not really care. The depression actually can hold down the anxiety a little bit. You care so little, you don't care that you're anxious. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was a good question because of how long it took you to answer. I was like, Ooh, I asked a good question. I was so proud. <laughs> I was so proud of myself quietly in my own mind. Um, but then I had to say it out loud because I mean, if nobody can hear it, what's the point, Emily? It's a podcast, right? So, um, but yeah, I just, it, it occurred to me that I wondered if it was different. I mean, you might not even be able to f- like, like in a, in an, in an up, like kind of manic situation, does the, does the mania kind of like, like squash the anxiety or is the anxiety just ramped up and faster? It's just ramped up and faster. Okay. Wow. There seems to be, there seems like there should be a moment here where I say, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. Like it just, (laughs) it seems, you know, exhausting. And I appreciate that you're, you're taking the time to explain it to people because I imagine that, that things like this to some degree impact more people than we think. And uh, it just doesn't get spoken about it. It's also incredibly helpful to hear through the story that you're just a person. You, you know what I mean? Like you, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but I think it's possible that people who have mental health issues get put into one silo in people's heads and they're not even people anymore. You know what I mean? And and that's just unfair. You're you, you, This is no different than you know, living with a broken leg for the rest of your life or something like that. Like there's, you are this person, you know, you are a human being whose body is being impacted by something. And um, it doesn't make you any less of like Emily because you have a broken leg than if you are anxious or, or, or whatever else. Um, so, so I just think it's great to, to share with people. I am. Yeah. I thank you. I'm super interested to know how with all of this going on, 
how did you grab hold of your diabetes? Um, after uh, being hospitalized a few times because of not taking my insulin, um, I was put into a number of treatment centers, a number of different hospitals. Um, and I went through a bunch of them before one stuck. I, I always left AMA. Um, so I never really pulled through with one. I never thought um, they really understood um, the diabetes part of it. I really think it was, it makes a huge difference. And I did, after going to kidney failure, I went to a, um, a hospital on their behavioral and eating disorder ward, I think. Um, and it was in, it was an inpatient, um, and it was a hospital setting. So they also had, in addition to, all the things that a normal eating disorder center has like nutritionist, a therapist, they had an endocrinologist on board for me as well, where the other places did not. And the endocrinologist just really helped me um, in terms of the diabetes. And it, it um, yeah, that's what made me, I think, really get a hold of it and it was still hard after that. I was only there for a couple of weeks because they only keep you an inpatient um, or maybe it was more than inpatient because I've been an inpatient before and that was actually a few months. But in terms of the hospital setting, it was only a few weeks and then they uh, released me. Mm-hmm. So you but, had um, somebody, you had somebody there who understood diabetes <sighs> and could, could support that while you were going through the rest of it. Yeah, that really focused on my insulin and like showed me how I would do it and how to eat and how many carbs and not that you have to count carbs, but um, but some of the things that the eating disorder places wanted to do, I just, um, I don't know, I just didn't think it went along with my diabetes. And when I had an endocrinologist there, it was more the plan they came up with was more specified to me because I had this whole other issue as well. Yeah. Well, you have competing problems, right? Because you have an eating disorder, which begs the idea that we don't want to focus too much on food, but then every time you eat, you have to super focus on food and yeah, they just, they fight with each other. So somebody was able to come up with a plan that sort of, um, allowed both of those issues to to work without them causing a problem. So you could count your carbs in a way that at least kept you close with your insulin without making you super focused on the food you were eating. Is that right? Right. That yeah. they wanted to work with me about how I felt about the food, but also in terms about how to control my diabetes around that too mm-hmm. and how to feel okay with that. Yeah. But I had to overcome like a lot of things to even want to do that because there were points where I, I didn't I didn't want to so yeah no it sounds like it sounds like a lot of moving pieces and finally they all sort of lined up with each other I guess in a way that allowed you to to meaningfully move forward is that fair 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, so is it almost random luck that you that you found a spot that all this stuff kind of came together, do you think? Yeah, I for sure. I mean, I don't I don't know how I'm still here sometimes, but mm. um I mean, I obviously think there's always things that can be worked on, but in terms of everything, I think I'm much better where I am now than I was 10 years ago. This is the best version of you that's existed so far. Um, in terms of my health, yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a ceiling that you're not at yet? Do you do you still have room to grow on that? I think everyone has room to grow. I don't think you're ever really done. So, yeah, of course. That's exciting. Do you feel excited about something like that, that idea? I don't know, actually. I... I think I have like a really pessimistic pers- uh, perspective of things because I actually didn't think of it like that. I kind of thought of it as like, well, there's more room to grow. So I'm not, oh, and I'm not there yet. So oh. there's not, I'm not doing as well as I should be. <laughs> oh, I see. So where I see it as this is exciting because you can still build on this. You see that very same situation as way to go, Emily. You're nowhere near the top. Is that is that how it feels? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That you know, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, I I know you didn't mean it that no, way. No. That was just yeah, yeah. no my I, perspective. Uh, you're being listen. Thank you for saying that because that's that's the parts of the conversation that I love the most. Um, I, yeah, I just I guess that's just the difference between like the direction my brain goes in and the direction your brain goes in. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, how do you find this podcast? Um, how did I find your podcast? Yeah. Oh no, I think I heard about it. I heard about it somewhere. And then I know I just looked it up. And you started one day just listening and started listening. Um what what made you want to listen to a podcast about diabetes then? I think I felt like really alone in this. Um and I think I think I might have started listening to your podcast around the time my father passed away. So, and not that my, my father and I didn't have a good relationship, but um, at the time we had reconnected and were at least speaking with each other and trying to work on our relationship. But um, he was really the only person I knew with type one diabetes. And um, I guess we didn't really, talk about it that much because i really just you know i didn't care i didn't Mm -hmm. i didn't want to talk about it um but you know we did have that in common and in in that respect like you know after that there was no one to ask about anything anymore really you lost your only connection to diabetes when your father passed away yeah yeah well how did he pass by the way a drug overdose oh i'm sorry um How he was managing his own problems with that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had, yeah, he had struggled with that for a long time, but I definitely think that, um, yeah, I think he, I mean, he struggled with a lot of anxiety too. So I think he managed his own anxiety. Um, 
with with that and also i think he just had a like i don't know just just sad like you know he had a sad life so mm-hmm. um i think he was just medicating with that do you think did you experience anything in your life that would be traumatic prior to high school or do you think this is just baked into your dna I don't think prior to high school, I had a lot of issues with trauma. I had a dysfunctional family, but like, I wouldn't say it was trauma. Um, yeah, not, not in high school. It wasn't until um, like right after college that I had that yeah, yeah. I had started having some traumatic events in my life. I wonder about the anxiety if you if you grow up in a family that's just frenetic and you know not I mean there's a level of normal that a child needs right and you know if your father's um, you know an addict even just that that's a uh, that's a lot um, if he's anxious on top of that or depressed on top of that there's more and more I wonder if that anxiety isn't your body's reaction to just expecting for the rug to be pulled out constantly. And then when the rug doesn't get pulled out, it can't adjust backwards because you just, maybe you just grew up in that space that you're, and you're, and you're more, you know, genetically predisposed to it to begin with that you just can't adjust backwards for some reason. Like your, your body just won't like allow you to believe that nothing crazy is about to happen. I don't know that that makes any sense or not, or if I, I could be a million percent wrong. Uh, But I just, it's something I wondered as you were talking. Um, but, but okay. So you, I'm sorry, you found the podcast and you, it sounds like you were listening to it for community. Did you find the management aspect of it almost by mistake? Like you weren't here well, to learn how to bolus, right? You were here to find other people who had diabetes. No, not, not necessarily. I mean, I, um, I liked listening to other people's stories and kind of feeling, you know, like a sense of community that way. But I think, um, I think also that I was really um, kind of struggling with the diabetes and the diabetes also affected um, how I felt. Um, So, I was looking for a way to get better control and then also just, just learning about the technology. Cause I had um, no idea about Omnipod or I had had a CGM at one point, but it was so inaccurate. I never wanted to try it again. And just, yeah, like listening to you and how you managed um, Arden's diabetes and that that was even possible. Then I started really honing in on, on things. Wow. This is the part of the podcast where you tell me what it is I'm doing so that I can know what I'm doing. Um, I, <laughs> I, I know that's a, a weird statement, but I, I'm only putting out a thing that seems like the right thing to me. I, I, it's not so well thought out. You know what I mean? Like I'm not in a back room with a notebook going tomorrow, I'll say this and that'll make people feel better. You know what I mean? Like it's not that well thought out. Um, and sometimes I need people to tell me what the podcast is to them so that I can understand 
what it is I'm delivering, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. I, and I appreciate that for you. I appreciate you telling me that. So that is something I've been wondering. You brought something up a second ago. I've been wondering about for like the last hour, which is did getting your blood sugars more stable impact your mental health positively or no? I don't know. I mean, I think I, um, I mean, I wasn't trying to kill myself anymore. Uh, but I think there was a lot I had to get over and I think it brought some other aspects of my personality that I didn't notice as much before out. Um, yeah. Because, you know, when somebody's blood sugar is high or it bounces around, you can see, yeah, they can get kind of nasty. They can get short, yeah. short tempered, right? You're like, yes, yes. I'm nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can be really nasty mm-hmm. when I'm high. Trust me. And so, like when that, when you get, when your variability gets tighter, um, and you know, and you're not bouncing high and low as much, those things should go away a little bit. I didn't know if the, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't know. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> the wrong time of year i get so dry um i I didn't know if the i didn't know if the mental side of it the mental illness side of it was so impactful that you couldn't notice the changes from better blood sugars but it sounds like you you may have noticed them yeah and some i you know some were positive and and in some ways i think some were negative i think it definitely brought out more anxiety because then i was a little too concerned about the control. So when I went out of range, I got extremely upset and um, yeah, just especially having the history that I did, like part of it was like, if I ever go high again, I'm, you know, I'll kill myself Mm. because I've, you know, I can't get away with this anymore. Like, the idea of the yeah. diabulimia is such a, I was going to say monkey wrench, but it's worse than that. But, you know, you you need to pay closer attention to your blood sugars and how food works and how insulin works so that you can have this health success. But the the act of focusing on it is really one of the issues of having an eating disorder. And so, but it sounds like you did it. Like, so just contextually, Five years ago, where do you think your A1C was? Do you even know? Around 15. 15. And what do you think it yeah. is now? Um, right now, I think it's probably around 6 to 6.5, which is a little higher than I've been running. But um, I think that honestly has to do with some... Uh, issues around exercise that I just haven't figured out yet. Okay. Well, first of all, good for you. That's amazing. I mean, kudos, you know, like, I, I mean, honestly, look back. Did Thank you, you <laughs> ever think, oh, you're welcome. Did you ever think you'd be a person with a six and a half A1C? Oh, no, never. I mean, and I cut it, you know, and like two thirds off of my A1C. <laughs> oh, so that's. You know, most That's people can't crazy. do that. If most people take two thirds off their A1C, um, I think they're dead because they, yeah. there's no sugar in their blood. Um, <laughs> you you had a lot of room to grow, and you and you really yeah. did. I mean, that's just wonderful. Um, do you, did you have a chance to feel proud or accomplished? Yeah, 
yeah, I do feel proud and accomplished. Um, but I think I'm just more aware of it now. And sometimes I struggle with, uh, the being aware. Uh, yeah. Just being aware that I'm diabetic and all the extra things I have to do, um, in order to kind of keep it in control. At least I find, you know, I know you seem to be very good at, you know, just keeping Arden's blood sugar under control. I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I find sometimes structure works a little better for, for me. It's hard for me to, um, just go completely off, off track. And then my numbers will get kind of crazy. Some things are just easier than others. So do you follow any sort of, um, uh, eating style that, or do you eat kind of just a hodgepodge of everything or is any? Yeah, I know at, at this point, especially with like the, uh, eating disorder background, I really don't, um, follow any type of diet. And I just, honestly, I just try to stay away from that stuff mm-hmm. completely. Um, you know, I just try to eat balanced meals and, uh, you know, um, enjoy my food and, um, yeah, I, it's really about balanced meals and I still sometimes struggle with the food sometimes for different issues than, um, necessarily, uh, eating disorder issues, but, uh, just, just not being hungry or, or whatnot, or the anxiety, the anxiety feeds, feeds a lot into, um, my appetite. So, um, I'm, I'm very aware of food and food around blood sugars. And when I, um, when I do have a meal, like I make sure it's balanced, but I don't say, you know, I'm not allowed to eat pasta or anything like that. Um, but I do notice that certain things are easier on my blood sugars than others. Tell me about anxiety impacting, um, eating. So do you eat more when you're anxious? No, I eat less. Actually, it depends because I'll swing. I've, I've had a history of swinging both ways on this, but right now I feel like, um, no, I feel like the anxiety makes me eat less. Okay. So I, uh, you danced around this about 45 minutes ago, but I'm going to ask like, does weed help anxiety? Not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) Emily's like, there's not enough weed in New York to calm me no. down. <laughs> Did it at some point? Uh, yeah. Okay. At some point, I think it did. But I, I, I think it became too consistent. And at that point, I was like self-medicating. So okay, and then it. Just, so it because I heard you earlier stop yourself from telling me what drugs worked for you, like what, like recreational drugs worked for you it was almost like you're like like you were trying to be proper i i, I don't mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't know you well enough at that point to make the uh the assertion but i, I felt like you're like well i don't want to say that to people um but it's just it, i mean it's been in my head the whole time wondering if you tried or not so um that's all it's just it, it's funny if you had to if you took anxiety depression ready anxiety depression type 1 diabetes and i told you you could throw one of them out of your life 
which one would you throw away? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like also they go along with each other sometimes, but um, maybe the diabetes because because I feel like if I threw away the diabetes, maybe some of the other issues would lessen as well. You have fewer things to feel anxious about. Yeah. Gotcha. Things to feel anxious about. I've just been wondering the whole time we've been talking, like if I magic, if I gave you a magic wand, by the way, what a crappy magic wand. It only works on one of three things. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but it, what you would, uh, what you'd want to get rid of. I have to tell you, I, if you made me bet, I would have bet anxiety. So that was interesting. Yeah. When you said diabetes. Um, yeah. I wish I could. Anxiety uh, was close to, because it's really debilitating sometimes it's right. really crippling at times i don't i'm not asking you where you work but what kind of work do you do um i'm not currently working but um what when I, I i i've moved but um i used to live in new york city and uh when i was working there i worked for a publishing company i have a background in art um more specifically in graphic design, but uh, actually, I think I'm I've applied to grad school because I think I want to go sort of a different direction with my degree. So, I, I was wondering two things. So, when you said New York, I didn't know if you meant the city or not. Um, but I heard a siren earlier, so I thought maybe still, maybe you're in a borough. I, I'm just guessing now. Oh no, no, yeah. I was. Yeah. I used to live in Brooklyn and then uh, moved up upstate. Uh, but does but does this, going on six years or something? Oh, okay. Does the city itself, because the city's a frenetic place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you step out on the sidewalk, and you know there are just countless people and machines and noises, and and did that balance out your anxiety, or did it add to it? No, I actually think that balanced out my anxiety, or at least it helped me not notice it it as much because that's just the way things were it was always go 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 in the city yeah because if you're vibrating and new york is vibrating maybe you can't tell is what i was thinking yeah so maybe quiet is worse for you because it is it is okay (laughs) i'm figuring this out i'm I'm getting (laughs) i'm really getting do you feel like i'm doing okay with this by the way because i don't know anything about any of your problems i'm just trying to pick through them oh yeah no i think you're doing great i hope Hope I'm doing okay. Oh, I'm not rambling too much. <laughs> no, you're not rambling at all. I would stop you if you're rambling. I don't, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm not good with rambling. I would, I would definitely stop you. Don't worry. Uh, no, I'm having a, a a really interesting, good time talking to you. Um, okay, so I was, I asked that initial question because I was wondering how difficult it was to hold a job with all this going on. It became very difficult and that's why at one at one point I was taking so much medical leave um eventually I just we came to the conclusion that I was uh just gonna leave on on my own Mm -hmm. um because honestly honestly if they would have been able to fire me I think they would have fired me at that point because I just I was taking so much time off I really couldn't perform well um and, but, but because, um, of the diabetes and because of the mental health issues, they really couldn't, uh, fire me for medical reasons. Um, yeah. 
So I agreed to to leave well, at that point. Tell me this. If you put yourself in their position, in the employer's position, and we take out all the other stuff, the considerations and protections that people have, just based on the work you were able to do because of your situation, would you have fired you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was trying to figure out. All right. So you were not yes. a valuable part of the organization at that point. No. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Not not with the amount of time I was taking off. Yeah. Well, you can't do your job if you're not at work. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, that was very, it's very kind of you, actually, to not sit there and fight with them and 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 create another anxiety point for yourself you know it's i think it's kind for you uh in the business and i think it was kind for you for yourself not to put yourself in another you know embroilment of any kind um what, what's the um so as a person who's been through this whole process and as we said it pretty i mean you're i think you're your best version of yourself based on what i've heard i don't want you to feel like <laughs> You're like, oh, not yet, Scott. But no, I, I, I think you're doing really well. Um, not to say there's yeah. not more, but if somebody's listening to this and they're at a different part of this, you know, where you were in the past, what's this? What's the secret? Like, how do you get out of this? <gasps> or as far out no, of it? I don't. I don't think I'm out of it. I think it's just constantly. Um striving to be better um and some days it's harder than others maybe some days I take a step back but um you know realizing that even though I have this anxiety uh pushing through it is is better than than laying in bed all day and not leaving my house and being scared of um, what's going to happen with blood sugars or what's going to happen just outside in the world. It's, it, it becomes crippling. So I think it's just, yeah, it's just continuing to work on that stuff. Um, but I would say that it's like, it's a long process. Yeah. So is it, if I characterized your life as being underwater but figuring out how to come up above the water and figuring out how to come up above the water for longer amounts of time. That's pretty much the goal, right? Like keeping your head up for as long as you can. Yeah. Okay. And, and those periods of time are growing for you where you're above the water. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Um, when you do something like when you have this concern that something's going to go wrong or it's going to be bad. And then you do it and it doesn't go wrong and it's not bad. You don't, do you gain anything from that? Like, does it propel you forward a little bit or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to put this. Uh, you know, if I open my door and walk out of it and I do it a thousand times and nothing hurts me at some point, my brain just says walking through this door is safe. And I never concern myself with it again if I was concerned at the beginning. But you don't get that, right? You don't get the part where it just stops being a concern. I don't think it stops being a concern, but I think I learn how to deal with it better. And I also recognize that when I do, um, when I am able to do those things, that I feel better 
about myself. Okay. Is there any aspect of life where this doesn't exist for you? Like, um, like, are you like, I mean, I don't know, like, do you like parachuting or driving a car really fast? Is there any place I could put you where just this all goes away? The anxiety? Everything. Like, is there, where's your happy place? Do you have one? I don't, I don't think I figured it out yet, honestly. Okay. Um, I think there's been like a lot of things in my life that have definitely, um, really influenced me and changed me. So I don't know. Hmm. I think, I think there's again, like still work to be done and I have to find that. Well, I, I wish you a lot of luck. I think it's amazing that you've come this far. I really appreciate that you came on the podcast and talked about it. I want to ask you if there's anything that we didn't talk about that we should have anything I missed. Um, I don't think so. I think it was, I think the overarching thing was just, um, you know, that you can go through trauma and, and, uh, be in bad places and you can still make it out. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you definitely got that across. I, I, that's what I got from listening to you. Like perfectly, honestly, I, I mean, seriously, like there's, I don't know. I just, it, it, there's a, there's somehow there's a triumphant story here, even though you don't feel like you've reached any kind of real triumph. But I mean, I see it. You started in such a place that, um, that I think where you are now is a, is a significant upgrade for you. And like you said, I don't think there's an end to it. You can keep going. So who knows what's next? I think, uh, I, to me that this is an uplifting story. Um, I'm okay, sure you're okay. just like, oh God, I just bored everybody to tears or I just made everybody sad or whatever. But uh I don't I don't see it that way. I, I see this as um is as explaining something that most people don't understand. And there are aspects of your life, even though they're magnified, that I think any person could listen to and find commonality with their own life. You know what I mean? Like your stuff's just at a hundred, but everybody has this stuff. There's this just maybe up at like nine or 10 on the volume. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. But when I try to put my own struggles in perspective, I mean, there are things far worse and I have plenty to be grateful for as well. So um, yeah, certainly, I try to remember, remember that. So I don't, I don't know if I'm a 10, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, like, I think to some degree, everyone has anxiety about something. Yours is just like, you know, if my anxiety is on a transistor radio, yours is on stage with the Rolling Stones in the 70s. And, you know, <laughs> yours is just turned way up. Um, but I'm saying that I think anybody who's really listening could hear about your life and find similarities in their own life. Maybe it's not to the degree yours is at, but um, I still think they're there. And, uh, and I think that's valuable because pe- uh, people aren't very introspective. You are obviously very introspective. Um, almost Maybe be- a little too introspective. Well, I would <laughs> listen. Yes, probably. Uh, but I understand it. 
And whereas other people don't spend any time thinking about themselves and they should. So hopefully they will after hearing you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this. Thank this, you. Was this hard to do? It was, yeah, it was hard. Honestly, I think, um, I mean, I was really anxious, but also I thought I was going to be like way more emotional. Definitely thought I was going to cry. <laughs> oh, do you want to cry? I could make you cry if you want. No, I, don't. <laughs> I really don't want to cry. I hate crying in public, but. <laughs> uh, no, no. Where, where are you at right now doing this? Uh, are you at home? In my house. Oh, yeah, you're yeah home. I'm at home. Okay, yeah. No, I didn't want you to cry. I'm I'm glad you felt comfortable getting it out. Like I, I just, it's um, I don't know. It's it, it it can't be an easy thing to sit there and mine your your soul for your stories, you know. Um, but I thought you did a really good job. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's not it's not easy for me to think about things in the past sometimes or recall things, but mm-hmm. um, but I did it. Yeah, you certainly did. I thought you were terrific. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N.com forward slash juice box. I also want to thank Emily for coming on the show and being so open and honest. And of course, Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6 and the forthcoming Dexcom G7. Head now to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself that CGM. If you're looking for more After Dark episodes, you can find a complete list at juiceboxpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.